0: Hey, this is Robbie baseball from the dingers fantasy baseball podcast and you are listening to pop goes your world if you haven't already subscribe on iTunes and while you're there please leave us a rating and review
1: and now it's time for our feature presentation I'm Chris McBrien and the pop culture from generation x is everything to me
0: and I'm Derek Myers and I'm here to Educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
1: Episode 192 Catch Me If You Can Movie Review. Mm-hmm. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now this episode we're going to be going back and taking a look at the 2002 Steven Spielberg film Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio. But before we get to the movie review, Derek, what is new in the world of
0: pop culture for you my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, after a few shows where I don't really feel that I've had a lot to contribute in this particular segment of the show, uh, I've got a lot to contribute in this segment of the show this week. <laughs> oh, you so had a lot I, of spare time, I guess, on your uh, hands. Well, uh, yeah, let's say yes. Okay. I, cool. I had some time. Well, let's not say spare time. I managed mm. to find the time oh, to, uh, to enjoy some pop culture offerings. Uh, I'm going to start with a documentary. For 40 days and
1: 40 nights, he watches documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Go ahead. What documentary right. did you
0: watch? You know, I, I haven't done a doc in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and I sort of missed the song. I, I missed the yeah. song, too. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, this one just dropped on Netflix this week. My wife forced me to sit down and watch it, and I sort of have mixed feelings about it. It's called "Attack of the Hollywood Cliches." Have you heard it's about on, this one at no, all? No, it's on Netflix. Yes, so Interesting. it's a very uh, it's a very sort of tongue in cheek look at these. It's hosted by Rob Lowe, mm-hmm. and they identify. 15 or so very common hollywood cliches they show examples from from movies you know they interview various critics and uh movie creators and actors uh and get their ideas and their thoughts on them it's it's very loosey-goosey tongue-in-cheek but it's it's spot on the money like every cliche they identify in here are, are absolutely correct and and they show you like in some cases like three four five clips in a row of movies that do it over and over and over again and um you know in a lot of them they had the one like with the car chase cliche they had they didn't say fruit stand but oh, it was, was gonna basically, say yeah they talked about how there's always a bunch of debris and things they get crashed into and the two or three examples they showed it was like fruit stand it was fruit stand fruit stand flower stand <laughs> i was like oh see look this is one of chris's fruit stand um so yeah it was it was just okay i mean it because it's sort of trying to be a little tongue in cheek and not take itself super seriously because it's obviously talking about cliches, which be- the way they're I- identifying it is, is like this sort of very, you know, wink, wink kind of thing. I-, I I didn't love it. It was interesting. It runs like 55 minutes. So I mean, I think that's a perfect length. I think if it was any longer than that, I probably would have turned it off. But you know give it 5 or 10 minutes you'll hmm. you'll realize right away if it's for you or not but it's on Netflix and uh, it's not bad it's called Attack of The Tackle Hollywood Clichés okay. so that was my documentary and then nice. i got a couple others so okay not documentaries these are the, so i got a movie and a TV show so the movie i watched was a classic Sergio Leone directing Clint Eastwood in Fistful of Dollars
1: ah oh, the old spaghetti westerns very cool
0: so the 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 three films the, the clint eastwood films man with no name the westerns by leone were on the turner classic movies a couple of weeks ago and i just said set, set up my record to record all three because i've never seen any of them and it's not because i i'm you know for no particular i haven't been avoiding them it's just you know i just i've never got around to watching them and I, this is perfect so i watched fistful of dollars again i didn't know anything about any of these movies other than clint eastwood's in them did and, you like it i loved it, it oh was nice great. yes it, it's like it was so good um
1: <laughs> it really so
0: I, I watched this of dollars and i loved it and then i'm about halfway through the next one which is uh for a few dollars more mm-hmm. which i'm enjoying immensely but it's it's much longer it's like two hours and 15 minutes so i'm about mm-hmm. halfway through that one i'm enjoying that um so i'll get through that by next week but yeah no i I'm, and the last one is the good the bad and the ugly which I've heard fantastic things yeah. about my whole life and I've never seen it, but it's a really long one too. It's over three hours. Yeah. So I've, I've got to carve out some time to finish watching these. But yeah, Fistful of Dollars was great. If, cool. if you've never seen it, I mean, you've seen it, but to the listeners, if you've never seen it, it was good. It's about an hour, 45 minutes, so it's not too long. And uh, no, it was it's a very simple plot. Again, I don't really want to ruin it because it, it, it's best to just go in not knowing anything. And Clint Eastwood's great in this. It was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. cool. I definitely give it an A. Now, uh, the yep. last one is, I started watching this new TV show mm-hmm. on Netflix. It dropped last week. It's a Korean television series called Squid Game. Have you ever heard about it, Chris? No. Probably not. But, okay, so the trailer dropped like a month ago, and when my wife and I saw it, we were like, wow, this looks like this show it could be great. So we Squid had it Squid Game. Squid Game. Squid uh, Game. Okay. So yeah, we flagged it in our Netflix to say like when this comes out, notify us so sure enough when it dropped this weekend it showed up as recommended for you this because you flagged it and so we're like oh well we should watch that and then i didn't get around to watching you the first couple of days and my social media feed exploded like it was all over all these blogs and all these podcasts i listen to everyone's talking about it. it's so great oh my god you gotta watch this thing and i was like okay i don't i don't want to ruin this for myself so i didn't read anything and i finally last night before i went to bed i thought okay i'll watch the first episode and, and see what it's like well I ended up watching five episodes. I fell asleep during the fifth episode. It was like three in the morning. I had to finally turn it off and go to sleep. And tonight, after we're done the pod, I'm going to finish watching the rest of it. It was fantastic. It's super good. Sort of very high level. It's basically, think, Hunger Games. It's a bunch of people that sign up to literally play these games to win cash money. But what they don't realize, and this is in the trailer and, and happens very early in the first episode, is once you are eliminated from the game, you get killed like it's life and death and so that's why they have the potential to win so much money and it's it's super good it's i'm enjoying it immensely the reviews have been outstanding it is in korean so it is going to be subtitled but netflix does offer a dubbed version in english if that's your if you prefer to see it that way it's nine one hour episodes squid game give it a check out just watch the first episode it starts a little slow but by about halfway through, you can sort of see, like, where it's going. And by the end of the first episode, if you're not hooked, then you're probably not going to really dig it. But, yeah, it was quite good. Very cool. So those are, those are my three for this week. I got something for you. Derek, you're going to be very proud of me, I hope. I also watched
1: a documentary this week. And not only did I watch a documentary, I think I watched one of Derek's documentaries. <gasps> because okay. I think a few months ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you mentioned a documentary called street gang how we got to sesame street
0: uh i i no there was one that was uh i think it was called the 50 years of sesame street or something they did a two or three sesame street documentaries recently but i know the one you're talking about i had not seen it yet so i had some time this week and i watched it (laughs) wow it was
1: fantastic so i've mentioned before Sesame Street is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Like, it's educational, you know, it's entertaining, it's diverse and inclusive. It's it's quite simply one of the greatest shows in the history of television. And the behind-the-scenes stuff in this, like, I've always thought that what the puppeteers did was some of the best work in television of all time. The characters that they created by like like Jim Henson and like Frank Oz and Carol Spinney and even Richard Hunt and Fran Brill like some of the stuff they did was better than anything live actors could have done like and then what they delved into in this documentary was stuff like the way that the show handled issues like death like when Mr. Hooper died mm-hmm. and Big Bird couldn't understand what death was and my wife is like she's crying when she's watching this you know like it was just oh it was so 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 good and then it was it was a, it was a good documentary in the sense that it was really cool to see how this show came together, basically against all odds, you know. Like I mean, how they ever got this show off the ground in the first place was just amazing, you know. And and the fact that it's endured for so long, I, I think it's just, it's a magical show. And I've mentioned before, me and my sons, we've gone back and watched like the old stuff from the '70s. It's all on YouTube, and my sons just love it, you know, and of course, it has one of my favorite characters of all time, Cookie Monster, which I just love. and like what Frank Oz does with that character it's just it's just it's like physical comedy, it's like a study of the human id it's oh I don't know it's, it's such a good show, so it was really, really cool to kind of peel back the curtain and see what goes on, you know behind this show. But uh, I, I, th- I remember you had mentioned about a Sesame Street documentary, and I thought it was this one. But uh, either way, I watched this one, and, uh, and it was just fantastic. It, it, at the very least, it, it triggered me to kind of watch it like because you were mentioning the Sesame Street thing. So it, uh, it kind of made me watch it. So, so in return, maybe I should give you this. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right, Derek, got a knock-knock joke for you this week. Are you ready? S- sure. All right, knock-knock. Who's there? Go f*** yourself. You see what I did there? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Like nicely I, I just, done. I wanted to incorporate the, the the movie. Yeah? Yeah, nicely done. Just say it. Say what? Go f*** yourself. <laughs>
0: I've got a can, so I'm opening this up right now. And I'm a girl drink drunk, so I'm having a Pop Shop Cream Soda. Oh, that's a good one. That has Chris's stamp all over it.
1: You mean the Phantom Menace? Oh! I'm not a fan of the prequels. (laughs) Okay, Okay. fair enough. I used to be a a somewhat successful podcaster in the world of fantasy baseball. Oh, (laughs) Dax! Oh, man. Okay, my friend, last week we took a look at movies based on real life and we did our personal top five lists of movies that we felt were the best of that that genre of film. And then at the end of the show, I was all set to throw things over this week. We were going to do another round of our pop culture fantasy draft. I was all about to ask you about, you know, what year you wanted to draft from. I was all excited to try and beat the Tarotty again at another round of our fantasy draft. And then... You called an audible at the end of the show, and you wanted to go another way for this week. So we've pushed our fantasy draft off until next week. And in the meantime, um, I guess it's safe to say that you were inspired by our topic last week, and you had a movie based on real life that you really wanted me to watch. So tell me, Derek, a little bit about why you felt it was important, not only that we go back and watch Catch Me If You Can, but also... Like, why you pushed off our fantasy draft. I mean, I was really looking forward to it. It's my two of my favorite things in the whole world. So, mm-hmm. um, so why this movie? Why do we need to go back and watch okay. this movie?
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll start by answering those in reverse order. Okay. So we are definitely committed to doing our uh, fantasy draft of the 1980s, and that's great. And we know a lot of our listeners love the 1980s and the pop culture from the 1980s. You and I included among those people. But I do know that we have some listeners that are part of the younger audience and maybe are not as nostalgic for the 1980s as you and I are. No. And I certainly don't want to uh, alienate them or make them feel like they got to start skipping shows because I've talked to a few of my friends that are listeners and they've told me straight up, you know, if you guys review a movie that either I've never heard of or that I know I didn't like, I just don't listen to that episode. And and that kind of bums me out a little bit, but I get it. Um, and so I know that there's probably going to be times when that happens for our, you know, the general listeners. So I didn't want to get us stuck in the eighties over, over and over and over and over and over and potentially lose listeners who realize like, Hey, I skipped six shows in a row. Forget it. I'm just going to not listen to them anymore. Because if you're a listener, we appreciate it. And we thank you for listening. And we hope you're enjoying the show and we want to keep doing shows that, that you are going to enjoy. So that was a big part of why at the last second, I thought, you know what, instead of doing 80s draft, 80s movie, 80s movie, 80s draft, 80s movie, let's let's throw something out of left field in there. So that was what inspired me to just call that Audible and say, we're going to do a movie this week instead. And it was going to be something a little newer. Now, 2002 is not necessarily new compared to where we are right now, but it's certainly newer than the 80s. Mm-hmm. So that was the reason why I sort of thought I'm going to throw a, m- a movie out there. Part of the reason I picked this movie was I almost included it in my list last week, mm-hmm. but while I was putting my list together last week, this is when I sort of had this epiphany that I just described, and when this movie came up on my list to possibly include, I thought, you know what, this would probably be a better movie to do a review on and give a full you know, half an hour, 45 minutes to talking about rather than just give it the two seconds or the two minute thing on a top five list and go well this is my number four pick and this is why i like it rah rah, next because this movie has a lot in my opinion this movie has a lot to like about it it's got a great cast it's got a great uh director and steven spielberg it's uh it's got interesting characters it's got it, like i love a movie that has anything to do with like a con artist or prison break or um you know mobster movies like there's uh, time travel like there are certain certain i don't want to call them well i guess to be cliches or, or sub genres that i just i love and this one has this the con man like this is you know it's literally called catch me if you can where the guy's pretending to be somebody he's not and it's this this wish fulfillment of like don't you really wish we could all do that and just be pretend to be someone i'm not and be successful and make my leg like end up stealing like four million bucks in real life in the, like the 60s and 70s like that was some big big money i mean not that it's not big money today but Um, so no, I just, I thought let's watch this. And then you had mentioned that you had never seen it before, which, Mm -hmm. you know, was surprised me a little bit, but also at the same time, I find that when you haven't seen the movie that usually makes for a better discussion. So I was very pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. when you said you had not seen it. I really hope you enjoyed it, but we'll find out in a few minutes and we'll break down the movie in a little more detail. So that's sort of the roundabout long answer of why we did this this week. Well, like I said, you, you pushed off our pop
1: culture fantasy draft. So there was a lot of pressure on this movie to be great and you know what it was just okay for me
0: okay okay okay. for
1: a lot of reasons now now first of all you you made us push off our fantasy draft so there's that and the the second thing is this is this movie is directed by you know one of the greatest directors of all time i don't know if you know this was actually supposed to be directed by david fincher originally
0: yeah i'd read that in the notes yeah
1: he's your hollywood boyfriend isn't he? oh no no that's that's matt damon Met But I know you love David hey, Fisher.
0: You can have two Hollywood boyfriends You're or three good. or four or yeah. five. There's no limit.
1: So the fact that this is directed by Spielberg kind of stood out to me because I don't know. I feel like this film was more on the spectrum with like 1941 and always as mm. opposed to like Raiders, Jaws, Jurassic Park. So Derek... Let's just start with that. Where would you rank this film on Spielberg's list of films? Because I, I read somewhere online that this is like his third highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like someplace where millennials go to rate movies.
0: Yeah, I think so. I understand what you're saying from a um, technical artistic perspective through the director's eye kind of viewing of this. It it may not stand out. As much as say Jaws or Schindler's List or Raiders of the Lost Ark, like some of, some of Spielberg's movies, you have whether you love or hate the movie, you have to give a certain amount of admiration and appreciation to the artistry that the director brings to it. And this this is sort of something I we talked about with Raging Bull, where I did not enjoy Raging Bull at all, but I thought the direction was outstanding, and I find that with with many directors like i may not enjoy the movie but i can appreciate what the director brings to the table and this one maybe is a little bit backwards to that where i love the movie but i don't necessarily love like over the top love what spielberg did which is not to say i think he did a bad job but i didn't really get the sense that this had like the spielberg a game it almost felt a little like he was phoning it in like you know i i, I he was just you know, given it as his, his middle of the road effort, which, hey, when Spielberg gives you a middle of the road effort, that's still going to be better than just about the rest of the field combined anyway. So True. I'll take it.
1: Yeah, good point.
0: Oh, one interesting
1: note I should mention, um, the movie is obviously based on Frank Abigail Jr. And I met him one time. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was he like, trying to pass off a bad check? Uh, no, surprisingly enough, it was quite a few years ago. Um I worked when I was in the corporate world. I worked for a document destruction equipment company. And I went to this big convention in Las Vegas for for NAID. It was the National Association of Information Destruction. And I I went there and I led this seminar and and the keynote speaker was Frank Abagnale Jr. cuz he was talking about fraud and identity theft. And it was this guy is he's led one hell of a life. That's for yeah. sure. But, uh, yeah. but a little bit about the movie. So not to be confused with the movie of the same name from 1989 with Jeffrey Lewis, which was about illegal street racing in Minnesota. Uh, Catch Me If You Can, 2002, like we said, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, all-star cast, which I think we should get to in a second. Oh, yeah, for sure. Really good cast. It was made for $52 million, which seems high to me. You know, I mean, there's not a... A ton of special effects or huge sets they had to build. Although I, 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 I think the, that was mostly salary, if
0: I had to guess.
1: Oh, that's that's a good point. Because I, I was I, one thing I I noticed when it comes to uh, their sets, the, the Miami airport. It felt like that was like rebuilt, you know, just for the exterior shots. So maybe they spent mm-hmm. money on that. But yeah, a yeah, good point. Probably uh, spent a lot of money on salaries. But the the movie made money. It grossed over one hundred and sixty four million. Just domestically. Now the thing was, I always like to look at the box office and just see where it stands. But it was released on Christmas Day in two thousand and two, so it made sixty four million of its overall gross before the new year. So it's kind of hard to compare it, you know, from year to year. Mm -hmm. But if 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 it if it had grossed all of its one hundred and sixty four million in two thousand and two, it would have made it into the top ten. You know, it would have beat out. A Beautiful Mind and Scooby-Doo and and stuff like that. Um, But it would have been behind movies like Spider-Man and Attack of the Clones and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And by the way, we mentioned 1984 recently. Mm -hmm. I think you could safely say that 2002 wasn't the strongest year for movies.
0: (laughs) No, not based on the titles you just read out. Exactly.
1: They They were at the top. But if this movie had come out, you know, a month later and it grossed all of its money the next year, 2003, it still would have finished in the top 10, so it still did good. But, um, man, if 2002 was a bad year for movies, take a look at 2003. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, The Matrix Reloaded, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, X-Men 2, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Bad Boys Two, Matrix Revolutions, like it's
0: those are all sequels. It's Every too one of those films is all sequels. It's That's all sequels. sequels.
1: Just so stupid. Oh man, all but sequels. But uh, anyway, so let's talk a little bit about the cast of this film. Sure. I, like I said, it was definitely an all-star cast. But I I have a question for you because this kept I kept thinking about this as I watch it. Do you think this movie could have worked with a cast of unknown actors? Because I just I Kept thinking that as I watched it.
0: I think that the two primary roles of Frank Abagnale Jr. and Carl Hanratty, the FBI agent played by Tom Hanks, who's trying to catch him. I think those two roles you needed movie stars in this role, because I think without that, you weren't going to get bums in seats. And I mean, Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio in 2002 were certainly A-plus listers at that point. So you knew there was going to be people walking through the door just because their name was on the marquee. Um, I I do think the movie could have worked. I don't think it would have been nearly as successful. I think it would have been the kind of movie that people would have found on home video and streaming services like years later. And and then they would look back on and people would be like, well, how did we miss this when it came out? But I think if you had an unknown cast, you wouldn't have been able to like I don't think Steven Spielberg would have been willing to make it with a lesser cast. And if the studio had committed to not using big names, maybe as a way to save money, I don't think Spielberg would have attached his name to it. I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing. So I think that it's sort of a package deal. You want Spielberg (laughs) to direct, you're gonna go put some A-listers in there. And if you want to do it as more of a little, smaller independent kind of film, you get, you know, then you can do those unknown actors. (laughs) And I think if it was unknowns, the person who played Frank Abagnale Jr., this would have been a great opportunity for them because every time he changes identity, he needs to pretend to be someone else so it's an actor playing a role of a character who's pretending to be other people so it's like pretending to pretend you know it's that whole victor victoria thing it's a man Mm -hmm. pretending to be a woman pretending to be a man kind of thing um so yeah it's uh i think it, it. yeah so long answer yes i think it could have worked but i think there would have been some other issues
1: okay so leonardo dicaprio we'll start with him his breakout role obviously was titanic but i always say that he never really got his due you know, for that movie because the accolades in that movie went to Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart. Like, DiCaprio wasn't nominated for an Oscar as Jack Dawson. Well,
0: but that was a strong actor year to be yeah. fair.
1: Yeah, true. He still should have been nominated. Um, but, I mean, he's gone on to become one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. So, Oh, absolutely. So, so my question for you, Derek, is this. What do you think is Leonardo DiCaprio's best movie performance? I mean, he, he won an Oscar for The Revenant, but you could argue... That was just kind of a makeup Oscar, you know, for his body of work. It was probably one of the most physically demanding roles of all time. But still, I don't know. I'm assuming you've seen most of his films. So what do you think is his best performance in your opinion?
0: I'll be honest. I am not a fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, fair enough. I, I I just, I mean, nothing against him personally. I just, I've never been a fan of his work, which is not to say that he's not talented. I can certainly recognize, uh, you know, when an artist uh, puts puts forth the effort. Um, I don't know. I would think, and but I have seen a lot of his movies. I would think maybe, um, geez. I mean, I thought he was quite good in The Departed, but there's a lot of the other things going on with that one. Um, maybe I would either say Gangs of New York or maybe even Inception. I don't know. That's a hard question. I never really gave it a lot of thought. Although he's in Django Unchained too, and he plays mm-hmm. a despicable character yes. in that one. But uh. so I I, I think what, when I when I look at this kind of thing, like I always
1: gravitate toward which performance is the most memorable. So for me, I think it would come down to what's eating Gilbert Grape, Titanic and Django Unchained
0: and it, Actually, probably sorry, Chris, let in let that interrupt. order let me interrupt you sorry I'm, I'm just looking through I'm scrolling mm-hmm. through his IMDb yep. right now totally blanked on once upon a time in Hollywood from a couple years ago with Quentin mm-hmm. Tarantino yep. that's definitely his best work without question I'm, okay. I'm changing my answer All right,
1: fair enough I, I don't even have that on mind um, Christopher Walken oh, is there so anything good. that this guy does that he's not outstanding in <laughs> He's he's like a legend I think he's so good. He, I think he might be the single most unique actor in the history of Hollywood. You know, like, I mean, I, so I, like, I like the old stuff. You know that, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I personally feel his best work was in stuff like Annie Hall and The Deer Hunter and Pulp Fiction. And did, did you ever see his appearances on Saturday Night Live? Especially like oh, back yeah. in the 90s? Oh, that, yeah, that, yeah. that is some of the funniest stuff ever in the history of that show. I remember he did a parody of The Dead Zone. Remember that movie, The Dead Zone, he was in back in the 80s?
0: I know of it. I don't think I ever saw it. It was based
1: on a Stephen King novel. And the idea was, it was this guy, whenever he touched somebody, he could foresee their future. And it was like bad things happening to them. And in, in this SNL sketch, he would like grab someone's hand and then predict like this mundane stuff he was like um, this trivial psychic. I think they call it. Oh, okay. So he'd like grab a, the hand of the girl at the water cooler in the office. And he's like, Oh my God, your housekeeper, she just waxed the floor of your kitchen and your daughter was running in the kitchen. And, and then the girl's like, Oh my God, it is my daughter. Is she okay? And he's like, she ran on the waxed floor. It left footprints. Your housekeeper had to wax it again. And the girl's like, okay, who cares? I'll call her later. Like it was just, and then remember, remember when? Um, oh, when he remember when your brother Mark was on the show, and I played the drums for him, and he's like, yes. it needs more cowbell.
0: Yes, <laughs> there was. That oh yeah, sketch. that was him too. Yeah, yeah. like it's such a, such staying a power. Beaver and the prescription is more cowbell. Yeah, like yeah, I
1: don't you know, man. Christopher Walken's amazing. I just I love. I
0: And so some of his more recent stuff that I enjoy, again, some of it is sort of guilty pleasure stuff, but some of it's just great. You mentioned Pulp Fiction, again, small role, very memorable. We did the movie review of True Romance not too long ago. He's got a small part in that, and he's fantastic in that scene with um, Dennis Hopper. Um, And uh, he was in uh, one of the more recent remakes of the movie Hairspray, and uh, you get to see him do a little singing and dancing. Um, He was good in that, again, small part. And there was a this is a guilty pleasure movie. There was a movie he was in with Brendan Fraser, and I want to say Sissy Spacek, and it was called Blast from the Past. And he plays the dad in that movie. And I if I can find this movie, I may have to get you to watch it. But again, it's a sort of quirky role, but he was pretty good in that too. I mean, and of course he's got the the fat boy slim uh, weapon of choice, weapon of choice tap dancing, and they got him on the wires. It's just like oh my god, you know me, I'm a music video guy. That definitely makes my top twenty all-time music videos, no question. Maybe even breaks the top ten, but yeah, it, it's just he's so good in so many things, and he's clearly talented. Yeah, and, and again, he's he's got a small part in this, but uh, nothing wrong with a small part. No, what do no. they say? No, no, uh, no small. No parts. small parts. Part.
1: Only small. The scene in the restaurant, he improvised a lot of that when he got all emotional and started crying and stuff. That wasn't really in the script, and just such a great actor. Um, Tom Hanks, I want to mention because. The first question I have, Derek, is what the hell was the accent that Hanks was using in
0: this movie? Yeah. Was it, it sort from threw, Boston or I, I like don't know. somewhere in the Northeast th- or something? Yeah, through me for a little bit as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. where. I, Given what we know of Tom Hanks' work ethic, I've got to think that this was a deliberate choice. Uh, whether it's maybe he's trying to emulate the real Carl Hanratty, because obviously it's based on a real person. Maybe it's, he met it's him. It's not, or, actually. It wasn't oh, actually. Geez, there was no okay.
1: There was no Carl Hanratty. Carl Hanratty is a fictional character that was kind of a mission. Like an amalgamation? Yes, yeah. of a bunch of different FBI guys that kind of were chasing him. So th- this character didn't
0: really exist. He sort uh, of okay. existed in spirit, you know, sort of. But... Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where the accent was from. It was an unusual choice. I don't necessarily think it really helped or hurt the performance, but it certainly helped separate Tom Hanks's performance in this from, say, his performances in other movies where he just uses his regular speaking voice. I, I personally felt that Tom Hanks was kind of miscast here. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, I would agree with that. He yeah. seemed like an odd choice to play this part. Like he was also miscast as Robert Langdon too i think
0: oh I, big time
1: i think tom hanks is great i mean hell he was in splash and bachelor party so i mean i love the guy but i thought forrest gump was dumb and
0: what
1: oh i didn't like Forrest gump. dude oh yeah what's
0: wrong with you we'll have to get
1: into that in another episode another episode but I, I i just i don't think tom hanks is the most versatile actor in the world i mean he's been good in some roles sure and he's, and he's been not good in some roles. I thought he was great in saving Private Ryan and Philadelphia.
0: Real castaway. The movie's just him for an hour. Like, come on. It takes a powerhouse to do that. Yeah, I I I feel like I don't know. I just I, I just
1: feel like he was miscast here. That's that's no, awesome.
0: I, I, I do agree with that. I think that he was miscast and I mean I didn't dislike his performance, but I don't necessarily felt that he brought something to the table that another actor couldn't mm-hmm. have done Maybe not the same way, but in a way that I would have felt just as satisfied.
1: But I got to tell you, the one thing about his role, that knock-knock joke.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. I, I
1: laughed out loud. I almost fell off the couch. I was laughing so much. And then when he did it again with his boss... Yeah, <laughs> but they just had to do the setup. He just said knock, knock, yeah, and then he exactly. cut away. You knew where it was going. You knew where it was, it was so going. <laughs> and, and then when I think, when I did it at the I, beginning of the podcast, oh man, that was awesome. Um,
0: <laughs> now I think, and I may be wrong here, but Tom Hanks has that sort of you know everyman quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the trim the 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 clean cut. Like I, he, I don't remember him ever swearing in a movie before this, and I think that was part of the reason that it it worked so well is because. He doesn't swear in his movies generally that's a good point even when you think think of like bachelor party which is an
1: r-rated comedy and is like as raunchy as you can get i don't think he ever swore in it. that's a good
0: point i think i think that was part of the reason that it works so well is because if it wasn't the first time it had to be the first time in a long time that he used the f-word on camera and uh it worked it's great I told some, I was talking to someone of my friends and I mentioned we were doing this and now he I go, we're doing Casper the Hand and he goes, knack knack, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. Don't worry about it. And then of course he yells the punchline at me, and I'm like, ah, funny. <laughs> um, Amy Adams,
1: yeah. I want to mention, because oh, I, I love Amy w- Adams. I love Amy Adams too. So for me, what separates an actor from a quote unquote movie star is the charisma that they bring to the screen. And whenever Amy Adams is on screen in any movie. You just can't take your eyes off of her. And this was one of her first film roles, if not her very first. I mean, she was doing a lot of dinner theater up until then. She was, she was doing um, Brigadoon on stage when she was working on this movie, which is near and dear to my heart, Derek, because one of my first theater roles that I ever did as an actor was a production of Brigadoon. Actually, Amy and, uh, Adams and I both played the part of Fiona, surprisingly enough. So, so there's that, but, um, I don't know. She, it was funny. She did this movie and then she didn't work for a little while, you know, like, like it took her a little while to catch on. It wasn't until she did, um, Junebug and she was nominated for an Oscar that she started to really work consistently. But one thing that I thought was interesting about her in this movie is she's supposed to play a 16 year old girl and she's like 30 years
0: old. Yeah, she's I was, I was just looking that work. up. She's, yeah. She was born the same year I was. Uh, actually only born a couple of weeks before me. So she would have been, uh, let's see, this came out in 2002. So she would have been, what, 28, 27 or 28, depending on when the, the movie right. was shot. Um, and she's playing like, a, what, a 17, 18-year-old? Yeah. yeah, like it's, uh, and you, but you believe it. I mean, she certainly has, you know, between uh, oh, yeah. uh, the way they've got her made up and they give her the braces and mm-hmm. it's like, and obviously she's able to, Convince you through her performance, um, yeah. No, I love her. I think she's great. We did on a much earlier podcast. I uh, I had you watch the movie Arrival, which is right. is one of my favorites. I know you didn't care for the movie, but yeah. I gotta think that uh, you know I was I was shocked that she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for that movie, as were I think a lot of other people. And uh, I think she's one of these uh, performers that in the years to come will get will get the due that she deserves. And I think she's been nominated for. It says she's been nominated six times for an Academy Award. She'll win one. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself in the next decade. She'll have at least one under her belt. And she, she's making a lot of smart decisions, uh, in more recent years. Uh, I mean, obviously everybody does a job for a paycheck. She plays Lois Lane in the DC comics movies, but, uh, um, she, she makes some good choices along the way. So
1: Martin Sheen, I thought was really good too. The guy is amazing. I mean, he was in apocalypse now. He was, he was the president. president. Yeah. On uh, West wing. Right. And he's got his two sons are Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. And and, and in this movie, how about those teeth that he had, <laughs> those fake teeth? He's like the stereotypical American dad in this movie. Yeah. He doesn't yep. care about Leonardo DiCaprio at all until he learns that he's a lawyer, right? And, yeah. then and a he, Lutheran. Yeah, and a Lutheran, of course. And he doesn't believe him, right? He thinks he's lying. But instead of calling him out, you know, and saying, "Oh, you can't marry my daughter." No, he connects with them. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. it's an amazing performance. Oh, I wanted to say there was like there was like a few cameos from actors. Yes, that had been other stuff. Um, that you know, before this, or maybe they went on to do other things. Like Ellen Pompeo. This was before old school or Grey's Anatomy. Elizabeth Banks, Jennifer Garner. Um, I like how in her scene she plays this seasoned woman who's gonna like. Yes take him for his money and she, uh, she ends up getting taken for like 400 bucks,
0: which I thought yeah, was cool. Yeah, um, no, I knew that I, I did remember that there were cameos from, yeah. from both men and women that you're like, Oh, that had like small parts, but I hadn't seen this movie in a while. So Ellen Pompeo shows up as a stewardess. I'm like, Oh my God, she's so young in this, like clearly pre Grey's Anatomy. I remembered Elizabeth Banks being in this, but again, I didn't really remember her part. I had no memory of Jennifer Garner being in this whatsoever. So, so even, um, I totally forgot Martin Sheen played the father uh, of the girl. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of performers in this that when you see them, you're like, oh, my God, this person's in this. It's funny. We were
1: I was watching this with my wife and and she was like, Jennifer Garner hasn't done a whole lot. And I was like, you're right. She hasn't. And like, she was in that show Alias on TV, which probably got her this role. And but other than that, she hasn't done a ton of work you know, in Hollywood. I think she's just been more kind of just private and reclusive. I don't know. But um, the one scene I want to mention, DiCaprio, when he goes into that fancy hotel and he's talking to the the, the hotel concierge at the front desk, mm. I recognize the actor immediately when this scene, he was in Trading Places. He played one of Winthorpe's snobby buddies at the country club, Todd. I don't remember. Remember remember the scene at the beginning of Trading Places where he's like,
0: looking good, Lewis feeling good todd i i i remember the scene but yeah. i can't picture the actor. the guy that played todd
1: was, was at the was the concert okay. I, I noticed him right away i was like oh my god he's from trading places and then i also recognized margaret travolta john travolta's sister not ellen travolta the one from Joni loves chachi but margaret travolta his other sister she was in a, a scene too so there's lots of like smaller like parts that had actors in it. i thought was pretty cool so um one thing I wanted to mention, the, when the movie starts off, they open up with this old episode of To Tell the Truth from the 70s. Yes. And I love yes. how they intercut actual footage of the game show with footage of DiCaprio playing yeah. Big Nail. I thought that was really cool. Because like, there's Kitty Carlisle on the panel. Joe Garagiola is like the host. He used to be a panelist on that show. And then they made him a host after Gary Moore got sick. Um actually that show also like it i remember it kept coming back because in the 90s um robin ward the canadian he i met that guy once he was the host of the of, of it for a bit and remember john or hurley peterman from seinfeld yep. he did a version of the show and then there's a new one with anthony anderson i think it is um yep. my wife loves that version with Anthony Anderson. She makes me watch it all the time. It's it's kind of a neat concept for a game show. But anyway, like I say, I really liked how they incorporated um the old footage with kind of the new footage. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That was yeah. I, and, that.
0: I mean I'm not I'm not usually a fan of the kind of movie where it's like you get the ending at the beginning and then you get the flashback, especially if they do that stupid thing where it's like 24 hours earlier. Like that, that bugs me. You get that on TV all the time. And I hate it. Hate it. It's my like my one of my absolute biggest pet peeves. But in this case, I think it works well. It establishes right up front that. um that he was a con artist, that he, like, it gives you his resume, right? It sort of sets up what you're going to see. They tell you, this guy did these things and he got this much money and blah, 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 blah. But you know that he's on this TV show, so he's obviously been caught. And and then you get the thing where it's like X number of years earlier and you get to see um, DiCaprio playing a much younger version of that character. And I think it worked very well in this that you sort of, you knew the ending coming into it um, because I think that helped. You, you. It's not like a movie like Goodfellas where... You think you know how it's probably got to end, but you you along the way, you just see this person doing all these bad things and you're like, oh, my God, like, are they ever going to get caught? Is there ever going to be any redemption? And it's like with this one, you you know, up front, yeah, there's going to be some sort of some sort of satisfactory. Well, you hope satisfactory um, conclusion where where the quote unquote villain, if you can call him that, uh, the, let's call him the person who's breaking the law eventually does get caught and have to pay some sort of penalty.
1: I thought it was interesting concept to explore because, you know, this idea of fraud, especially back then, because it really starts out when he goes to high school and he pretends he's the the substitute teacher. And I think a lot of it, his motivation was because he wanted to get back at that bully. Right. But he realizes quickly. And like he says early in the movie, people believe what you tell them. Yep. Yep. And it's true. It really is. And I, But I think it was a lot easier maybe back in those days because I feel like people were more trusting for the most part. Yeah. You know, and, the, and there was always yeah. ways around the system. You know, like like I like how banks, they wouldn't cash checks from other banks, but they would cash a check from the airlines. So yeah. he realizes this. And then he also realizes that people respect pilots. But really... What he finds out is they don't respect pilot. They respect the idea or the ideal of a pilot, right? So he just goes and gets the uniform, you know, and he's off to the races. Even
0: Literally, they they respect the uniform rather than, you know, much like much like with a lot of jobs, right? Like military, a lot of people will say, like, I respect the uniform. Even though they show absolutely no respect for the person wearing the uniform. So, no, it's, it's, and that's, yeah. That and how he gets pretty.
1: that uniform, he just makes a call. And he like, he realizes, oh, you know, if I call up and just say, I lost my uniform, they're not going to question it. Why else yep. would you be calling, right? So, yep. okay, here's your uniform. Way you go. And, um, and the other thing is he recognizes really early the importance of, of the attention to detail. Like, yes. Remember when he he sees the girl and she's trying to pass the note at school? Yeah. And he's yeah, like no yeah. you got to put a crease in it. You know that's the first thing you do when you get it from your mom you you fold it. You got to put that crease in it. Like he he really has a kind of a, a sixth sense about this kind of stuff. And then he starts getting better at grifting people as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Cuz his his dad uses that um that necklace on the ground trick. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you know he uses, you know, his charm, you know, I guess pun intended to to get Ellen Pompeo into bed, right? Mm. And then when he takes the decals off the uh, the model airplanes and the he planes. puts them on the yeah, checks, like he, he really understands the idea of just kind of just detail and how it fools people, you know, and, and, and then how he can exploit all the loopholes and that the checks kind of move around and nobody ever notices and all that kind of stuff. But I want to touch base on the subplot in the film, which is really his family life, because at one point he comes home, he's young. And he catches his mom having an affair with James Brolin, right? And his parents get divorced. And he keeps mentioning it over and over. Like he wants his parents get, to get back together. It, it feels like it's a, kind of a plot device.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe maybe it's meant to explain, you know, his life of crime. You know, he, he's from a broken home and, and all this. Or maybe to make him more sympathetic. I don't know, but uh. well,
0: I th- I think it's in part done as a uh, as a reminder to the audience that um, despite the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor who is probably at this point in his mid to late twenties, is really playing a teenager, and and I think the fact, like the what I got out of it was he's still a kid, he's still emotionally immature, uh, and he has this idealized um, notion that oh my parents. Are, are like although his parents are getting divorced he thinks they can get back together as as kids often do when their parents break up it's like you think oh well you know they're just going through a rough patch they'll get back together and it's like he can't accept the fact that you know his parents they're broken up there's obviously things going on that he's either not aware of or doesn't understand or doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. And to me, that reminded me of the kind of behavior you see in, in younger children when their parents break up. It's like, oh no, no, they're not they're not going to be broken up forever. Mm-hmm. They'll eventually get back together. And that that was what it did for me is it it reminded me that despite the fact that he's pretending to be an airline pilot, he's he's having sexual relations with these various women, he's he's pretending to be a doctor, he's he's engaged to be married. He's still a kid. He's still a teenager. He's still emotionally immature. And and he still has this idealized notion that, oh, one day his parents will get back together. And in his mind, he's thinking it's just a matter of, you know, getting them, the, you know, helping his dad out financially. I'm going to get him a car. I'm going to put him in a nice suit. He's going to go and meet my mom and she's going to forgive everything and come back to him because that's obviously why she left. It was a money issue. So that, that was my takeaway from it. no that's, that's a good point. There's one scene that kind of stood out to me.
1: So when, remember when Tom Hanks was giving the slideshow presentation to the FBI agents about, you know, how criminals are using, you know, counterfeit yeah. methods for checks and all this. And then the slide projector sticks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I immediately thought, why is this happening? Like, why did it stop? And why was it? he's like, why is that thing stuck? Why is it not working? And I thought maybe it was just a mistake, you know, when they were shooting the scene and they just left it there and then I got thinking about it. I thought, you know, Derek, you always said in the past that every scene in a movie is deliberate. Like especially I think especially in
0: a Spielberg movie, there's yes. no accident.
1: Yes, like you you've always said if there's a gun on the wall in an early scene, it better come back later in the movie. You know, otherwise why is it there? So for whatever reason, this scene stuck out to me.
0: Do you, do you remember the scene I'm talking about? I, I remember the scene, yes. I, I Honestly, I didn't give it much thought, but uh, continue. So the thing that I was thinking about was that
1: maybe the FBI is using, like, broken-down technology while the bad guys are using state-of-the-art technology to commit frauds and crimes, and that's why they can't keep up with them. You
0: know? Yeah, I, They're playing I think different definitely, games. Definitely that's a good read, the idea of, the, you know, the metaphor for the, the lack or absence of resources. I think also... It to, to piggyback on that idea tom hanks's character is clearly trying to educate his fellow law enforcement officers about some of these problems and it's abundantly clear that everyone in that room couldn't care less and later on when he's got the two guys assigned to him they both see it as like a punishment right. and they like how this is not a desirable aspect of law enforcement to go into so i think you have to um assume that all ties together with the criminals will do what the criminals do to take advantage of the fact that the law enforcement doesn't take their their crime seriously. And that's part of what led this particular uh, criminal to be as successful as he was. Nobody was chasing him or, or they weren't putting the resources into chasing him that they were to other people. And it's not until he racks up, what was it, $4 million or $2 million or something. Like when they go to see the mom and they finally figure out who he is, she's like, well, how much could it be? I'll write you a check. And he says, it's like, oh, it's like $1.5 million or something like that. And, uh, it's not, it's not until it reaches these exorbitant amounts that, that the law enforcement, unfortunately, that, that they finally, uh, feel they need to put some time effort and, and money into catching this guy, or he's just going to keep getting away with it.
1: One thing about Spielberg too, he, he is a master of moving the camera. Oh yeah. You know, like he zooms in on DiCaprio in one scene where he's in his apartment, you know, and there's like things going on in all the other apartment windows. And then the scene in the movie theater, when the camera moves across the audience and it goes right into him, it's 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 memory in Jaws when he zooms in on Brody, when he's sitting on the beach, when Alex Kintner gets attacked, like Spielberg is a master at doing this. And and he keeps showing it over and over in his films. Um, So I thought it was interesting. The one uh, scene when uh, he's impersonating all these people, impersonates a doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. impersonates a lawyer and all this stuff. But he he does get tripped up a couple of times. Like when he's a doctor and he sees the kid with the broken leg. Yeah. And he goes into the janitor's closet and barfs, you know? And then when he impersonates the lawyer and he and he says to the judge, he's like addressing the jury. Yeah. And the guy's like, This is a preliminary hearing. There's no jury. What the hell is the matter with you? (laughs) Like I thought it was was kind of funny. But I have a question for you, why does he peel the labels off everything? Like beer bottles. Uh, Champagne, soda pop, like it's just a plot device. I
0: I think it's a plot device. I think it's also, um, to me, that's a thing that I can remember doing as a kid. I think it's, it's, again, it's a, a quirk that a young person is more likely to do than an adult um and i think that's that's part of it and obviously it's the plot device because later on the whole scene with the wallet where tom hanks opens up the wallet and he's got the, the labels and then later on near the end when he goes to the engagement mm-hmm. party and he sees the wine bottle without the label so it's, i think it's there, a, yeah yeah I, th- I think i think it's more for that but i think you could definitely read into the idea of that's that's like a little kid thing to do is to peel the label off of the off of the bed off of the beverage or i think he did it off like the ketchup bottle and like yeah. everything right anything that had the label it's just a to me, it's a thing a little kid would do. I like the
1: scene when he finally comes clean to Amy Adams and he's like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a Lutheran. I'm not a doctor. I'm not rich. You know, I didn't go to medical school. You know, I'm, I'm not Connors. And her reaction was, you're not Lutheran. <laughs> Which I, yeah. It made me laugh. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then I have a question for you, too. Is it maybe it was just my TV settings, but was there... German subtitles for every time they went to a different location? Because they put the name me. up on the screen of the place that they went to. Like, for example, when they went to France, like they put, oh, this is in France. When I was watching on TV, they also had words above it in German. And I was like, is there there something wrong with
0: the settings? (laughs) I think it was just your settings. Yeah, I I didn't have any of that. Uh, Now, interesting though, I tried. Mm -hmm. So I have the DVD. Okay. And so I was going to watch it on the DVD. And when I tried to run it in my DVD player, it didn't work. And I was like. Well, maybe it's because it's a Blu-ray player and this is a DVD. But I'm like, well, no, we did Ghostbusters nope. a few weeks yep. ago. And that was a They're DVD. backward compatible. Fine. No play. Yeah. And so I was a little... It's the only thing I could think of. I, I could not get... I tried it on two different machines. It would not work. Is this DVD was was uh, a DTS, which was just one of the w- one of the ways they were formatting DVDs for a little while. So I don't even understand how... Like there was that and there was this super bit and there was all these other little... Kind of quirks that DVDs had for a while, and I think it's this DTS formatting, whatever, that makes it non backwards compatible. So it was kind of a bummer I didn't get to watch it on the DVD, but it was available on Amazon, so I managed to get it through the streamer. So all good in the end.
1: I I streamed it as well, but what the one my big takeaway was this movie was way too long, like yeah, may, maybe an hour too long. Like it was
0: crazy long. It was like two and a half hours long. I definitely felt the first hour was better in the second hour, as as with so many movies, the origin story, I find the beginning of an origin story is always, in my mind, better um, than sort of what comes right after that. Uh, and, and this like, again, I've mentioned Goodfellas already, like Goodfellas is clearly like there's two, you know, act one and act two. And in the first part of that, I found was a lot better in my mind. And I think a lot of people agree, like the first half is more. More entertaining. Um, And then I, I found the same with this. I thought the second half sort of felt like it dragged a little bit. I felt it was a little too long. I felt the whole part once he meets Amy Adams, like that whole side of the story just seemed to me to take up a lot of screen time that didn't really add a lot to the movie. Um, unless we found out afterwards that he ended up going back to her and they got married, like, okay, then I get why you've sort of set this up where he's, he's legit fallen in love and the family has accepted him. And even after all these, he goes to jail, They, but that's not what happened. So it's like, mm, I don't necessarily think you needed all that stuff. So I agree with you that I think it was a little bit too long. And probably um, now- just, it's probably set up
1: that scene though, when he gets her to come to Miami and then she does, but she's like in cahoots with the FBI, right? So, yeah, he goes and recruits those those good looking college girls to be. Stewardesses. <laughs> yeah. And if there's one thing this guy understands, it's human nature. Right. So he surrounds himself with these beautiful women, which completely distracts the cops and the FBI Everybody. and airport yep. security. And he just slips away. So I, I think, you know, that was set up. Um, I did like how the movie ended, though. I thought it was pretty good how he goes to work for the FBI. And helps him solve yeah. the, the fraud and the counterfeit cases. And then it even says at the end, they ended up paying him millions of dollars every year to do it. As they as they said in Johnny Dangerously, that movie you hated. But remember and they said crime doesn't pay. Well, it paid a little, <laughs> you yeah. know, I guess. But I, well, I thought that was kind of neat how he kind of went full circle and began to became a good guy I guess.
0: Yeah, and that that definitely that was one of the aspects of the movie that I enjoyed. Again, I love a movie about a con man and it's all about those details. So any of the stuff that he like you could see him learning how to how to succeed at being a criminal you, you saw him learn about you know the checks were printed on certain kinds of paper and they needed the certain kind of press and they needed a certain kind of typeface and you see him like forging document he forges his medical uh diploma at one point he's using the certain font so it's like you see that he's learning all these little details and then at the end when they they basically they test him and they they show him some examples like he he shows off oh well i could tell this was a fake just by touching it it doesn't have the perforations mm-hmm. and then when they bring him into the fbi he he again he's He's explaining to them all these things he's learned, and and in turn that'll help them um, catch these criminals or or make changes. And and the title cards at the end talk about how like a lot of the things that he's identified help revolutionize. Um, the legitimacy of of checks and and cut down on the forgery and and various security measures that have been put in place and and it's those details of a story like this that I I always find fascinating and they're part of the things that 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 I find appealing about a story about a con artist or a criminal or someone who can pull one over. It's that they learn all the little ins and outs and it's those little details that other people don't pay attention to. Um, but yeah, anyway, I want to just before we... Because it sounds like we're about to wrap yeah. this up. I want to go right back to the beginning for a minute. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the movie, the opening credit sequence. So um, for those who, who who may not be as familiar, so it's the the... Black and uh, well, not black and white, but it's the the monochromatic um, sort of animated cartoon sequence. It's got all the names and it's got the, the the little animatics of them, you know, literally chasing them through the airports and stuff. And this uh, this is a tribute to um, a gentleman named Saul Bass. Chris, are you familiar with Saul Bass and his work? He sounds familiar. I've heard Saul Bass. Yeah. So he ha- he Fill was a me. graphic de- he was a graphic designer. Um, he he designed. Movie posters and logos and uh, and title sequences like this one uh, for dozens of movies, a lot of Hitchcock movies, and um, his movie posters are very well known, very memorable for their their animated style. Like uh, Vertigo is a really good example. I'm just looking at his at his uh, nice. his entry here on Wikipedia, but he did um, o- opening title sequences for things like the original Ocean's Eleven and West Side Story. Uh, it's a Mad Men, Mad Men world. Um, uh, I'm just looking for a couple other big ones on here. Goodfellas, we've talked about that already. Um, um, you know, things like this where it's uh, broadcast news, where it's this this style he's got that's very uh, very original and it's unique. And when you see it, if you're familiar with his work, you immediately go, I know where that's from. And so the title sequence to this. Uh, unfortunately, he had died before this movie was uh, was was done up. This is a deliberate and and confirmed homage to his style. And uh, so, if if you've seen it before, you sort of go, "Oh, this looks familiar." And if you are familiar with his work, you can really pick up on that, and you just sort of like you nod your head and go, "Ah, oh, I see where they went with this." And uh, yeah, no. So it it's again Spielberg doing his thing, and and you know Spielberg being a, a fantastic. Movie creator mm. knew about Sal Bass and his his contribution to film cinema over the year, and he did this homage yeah. to him at the start of this movie. And uh, that's a nice little uh, right, well, wink, wink for for okay, those. So yeah. rate this movie out of ten for me, would you? I'd probably give it an eight, between a seven and a half and an eight, but I'm going to lean towards an eight. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's like you know, there's a lot to like about it, which we've talked about. It has a few hiccups, but um, no, I'm gonna I'm, I'd give it an eight. I would go
1: six and a half, only because I expected more from Spielberg, and I felt it was a little bit too long in places, and it wasn't quite memorable enough. I, it's not a movie I'd watch again, so. Okay, but would
0: you recommend it to someone who has not seen it?
1: Um, Sure, if you had two and a half hours of your life you wanted to, <laughs> something to do, I guess I would. Okay, okay. That, but I mean, again, it was, it was just okay for me, you know? That's just my thought. Anyway, on that note, let's have some... Fun with Caveman. Okay, Derek, so this movie is, it's really at its core a big cat and mouse chase, right? Yes,
0: it is. Yes. But, but a doubt. It's,
1: it's not the only movie that's kind of used this plot device. So here's what I'm going to do, Derek. We've done this format before. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis. And all you have to do is name the film. Just keep in mind that the common thread this week is that all of these movies use a cat and mouse chase as a key part of the film's plot, okay? So, you know, like one person's running and like someone's chasing them, okay? All right, you ready? Yep, fire away. Okay, 1979. These are all easy. You're gonna get them all. Okay. 1979, after a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress, distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun.
0: Uh, That sounds like Ridley Scott's Alien. Very good. Okay. 1993. A doctor,
1: unjustly accused of murdering his wife, must find the real killer while being the target of a nationwide manhunt led by a seasoned U.S. Marshal.
0: Was that um, The Fugitive? Told you. These are all easy. You're going to
1: get them all. Okay. Okay. 1987, a team of commandos on a mission in in a Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior.
0: Uh, Was that um, Schwarzenegger? That was uh, Predator. Okay, 1991, a young
1: FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative killer to help catch another serial killer,
0: a madman who skins his victims. Oh, okay. I was like, where's this going? Uh, This is uh, Silence of the Lambs.
1: Now, as a tip of the cap to my good buddy, Luke Martin, Derek, Derek, Here's a newer one for you. 2006. An undercover cop and a mole in the police attempt to identify each other while infiltrating an
0: Irish gang in South Boston. Uh, That would be the movie we, uh, we did not too long ago, The Departed. And here's another new one for you. 2007.
1: It's only 14 years old. It's new in my eyes. Okay, Mm -hmm. Violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than $2 million in cash near the Rio Grande.
0: Yeah, that was
1: um, uh, No Country for Old Men. Told you. You're going to run the board on this one. They're easy. 1982. A veteran green beret is forced by a cruel sheriff and his deputies to flee into the mountains and wage an escalating one-man war against his pursuers.
0: Um, is that um, Stallone? That's um, oh, it's not called Rambo; it's called um, First Blood.
1: Here's a here's a softball one for you. Nineteen eighty-eight. An out-of-town police officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by terrorists during a Christmas party in Los Angeles. Oh, that's Die Hard. I'm telling you, you're going to run the board on these, okay? 1971, a pair of New York City cops in the Narcotics Bureau stumble onto a drug smuggling job With a connection to France.
0: Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess based on your France clue and say the French connection.
1: Bit of a giveaway. Okay, 1962 and remade again in 1991. A lawyer's family is stalked by a man he once helped put in jail. Jeez. What year was that? 1962, and then it was remade again in 91.
0: Jeez. Um, oh, oh, um, but I've never seen it. Is it Cape Fear? It was Cape yeah, Fear. I've yes. never seen it, never oh, seen it. Good. But when you said remake, I was like, oh, wait, okay. All right, 1971. A business
1: commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent
0: driver of a massive tractor trailer oh is this um is this that the first spielberg one it's uh i want to say it's is it called duel yes yes it was nice. a made for tv movie it wasn't his
1: first film his first film was sugarland express but that was a made for tv movie okay 1951 a psychopath forces a tennis star to comply with his theory that two strangers can get away with murder.
0: Um, Again, I'm going to take a stab based on your clue. Was it uh, Strangers on a Train? One of my favorite films of all time. W- right there. Would you have accepted Throw Mama from the Train?
1: I would have accepted Throw Mama from a Train. Yes, because yeah. it was a remake of it. Okay, yeah. so you're running right the board here. The last one, 1987. A cover-up? And witch hunt occurs within the Pentagon after a politician accidentally kills his mistress.
0: What was the year again? 1987. 1987. Jeez. Um, Again, I'm just going to take a total stab in the dark here. Was it No Way Out? It was no way out. Have you seen that movie? No, never oh, seen it. But I'm I knew I'm going to make you watch it, that. I knew it was something military or yeah. or government. Uh.
1: I'm going to make you watch that for a future episode because it's it's so good. See, I told you, easy one. You ran the board for the first oh, time. Hey, nice. It's been I a don't think in a long time. I don't. Have we ever had anyone run the board here? I don't think he ran the board. Oh my god, that's great. <laughs>
0: does not happen all the time congratulations so
1: all right next week Uh, in
0: all fairness those were those i don't want to say easy but yeah they were pretty reasonable yeah i tried to make them simple all right so our next episode time now for another
1: round of our pop culture fantasy draft so our first ever fantasy draft was a few weeks back it was on episode 188 and we held a fantasy draft where we each drafted a team from the year 1984 and the goal here is to draft a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick. And then we have a panel of esteemed judges who vote on our lists. I was victorious in our first draft. I, I just squeaked out a victory. It was six to one for me. Real nail-biter. But anyway, so this time, it's over to you to pick a year. So for next week, what year will we be drafting for our pop culture fantasy draft, Derek.
0: All right, I'm calling another audible. No, I'm okay. just kidding. We we are gonna do it. Okay. All right. So what have we got I, for I, us? I I've decided we're gonna do 1981, and the reason we're gonna do 1981 is I think we did a we did a good job starting sort of right in the middle with uh 84 with 1984. Yeah. Thank you. I was blanking on the year, and that's sort of right in the middle, right? We got yep. we got you know about equal number forward and backwards i think the ones from 84 and newer mm-hmm. will be a little bit easier because i i lived through that part i was old enough to understand and remember and and i think a lot of the voters and the people that are listening to our show are sort of in our demographic so i think that one's going to be a little bit easier to do the draft these older years 80 81 82 83 i think that's going to be require a little more homework so mm-hmm. i thought you know what let's Let's get one of these tougher ones out of the way. And then when you pick, I'm going to, you know, obviously you make the choice you want, but I'm kind of hoping you pick something a little later in the 1980s. So nice. I'm going to, I will go with 81 for next week. And uh, again, it's three TV shows, three movies, three songs, and then the, the wild card pick. Right?
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting because our judges are all, oh, they might not have been around in 1981. There was, there was something we did. I want to say it was in our, it was in our first 10 shows of doing this Mm -hmm. podcast where we did um an episode called my favorite year and the idea was that we we kind of came to the conclusion that your favorite year in pop culture if you really reflect on it and think about it was the year that you were 11 and for whatever we, we explore the reasons for that you know, because that was kind of like when you're young enough to start watching movies and starting to watch TV shows and stuff. But it seemed to be a consistent thing that we conclusion we came to that when you were 11, that was your favorite year for pop culture. And when I was 11, 1981. Nice. So this ought to be great. I'm really looking forward to to do this draft. So next week we're going to come back. We're going to do our uh, fantasy draft. We're each going to draft draft. Three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a wild card of anything that we like. Personal pick from 1981, and then we're going to send it off to the judges, and we're going to get another winner. And whoever wins gets to take home the trophy of Funko Fonzie. Funko Fonzie is currently right here beside me. I'm touching him right now. Um, He's on my desk because I won the first one, and I do not want to give up Funko Fonzie. (laughs) Just because it's fun to say Funko Fonzie, and I like Funko Fonzie. So I'm hoping we're going to hang on to him. But I tell you what, until next week when we do our draft, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.